You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, welcome, everybody. It is great to have you with us. If I have the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And before we get started, isn't it awesome to have the fall weather we had this morning? Some of you are like, I hate this. It's beautiful, though. Um, We get to wear our light jackets and sweaters. They're coming back. Your sweatshirts, I love that. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you look good in fall today. If you're watching online, just look at yourself in the mirror Do a selfie, tell yourself that. Maybe it's good to encourage yourself. I love fall. Um, For those those watching online, I want you to guess. You know, it's a Steelers Sunday. We're playing the Seahawks tonight. Uh, It's like a rematch of the Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh, Hopefully we're going to win. You know, we're we're on our way back, right? It's not a comeback because we've always been in it. Um, Thank you. if you're watching online, why don't you post in the comments what you think the score of tonight's game is going to be. My hunch is 21 to 3. That's my prediction. You can quote that. Um, Steelers. Steelers 21-3. Not Seahawks. Oh, come on. Goodness sakes. No way. I grew up in Latrobe. You know, I lived in Latrobe growing up where training camp is. The Steelers were good because of where I grew up. The training camp is there. Um, uh, today, uh, we are uh, continuing a series we started last week called The Problem of Jesus. Maybe that's a weird statement for you, like, what's the problem with Jesus? We're going to get to that. Um, and throughout this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the difficult things that Jesus says. Uh, sometimes we can get this misconception that everything Jesus says and teaches and talked about is just like good and easy and it gives you all warm and fuzzies on the inside. Uh, the truth, though, is quite the contrary. Uh, in, in fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, uh, Jesus had this teaching, and he's, as he's teaching, something really interesting happens. In verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Good question. They're like, dude, this is really hard. This is tough, difficult stuff to process and to try to apply to our lives. Like, how can we even do this? And, and you know what the result was? Verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Like people walked away from Jesus. Can you believe that? Jesus is teaching. They're like, this is really difficult. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to someone that's a little easier. And and they, they walk away. Like some of the stuff that Jesus says is not easy and make you all warm and fuzzy. Sometimes he challenges you, calls you to something that you're like, I don't know if I can do this. And throughout this month, what we're doing is we're walking through the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching, the most prominent of all of his messages, something that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, which is the first uh, book in the second part of the Bible known as the New Testament, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's a challenging yet refreshing collection of teaching by Jesus. And if you missed last week, man, you really missed out. Pastor Sharon mes- uh, shared a message uh, entitled, Loving Those You Hate, such a pivotal, timely message. If you missed it, you can uh, go on our YouTube channel, watch the whole message, or Facebook, or, or, or subscribe to our podcast. It's a message, if you didn't catch it, that you really, really need to, uh, to catch. Next week, we're going to be discussing uh, the teaching, Praying So No One Hears. And then we're going to close out the series the following week. Uh, we're going to be diving into this idea of living without 
standards. Now, if you want to stay ahead, uh, you want to kind of understand the Sermon on the Mount and what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, uh, I encourage you, go through the, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you want, we have a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion, uh, YouVersion app. If you go to problem.calvaryirwin.com, uh, there's a link there to a YouVersion Bible reading plan. You can join us in, uh, over the next few weeks and, and walk through uh, the Sermon on the Mount with us, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Today, though, we're going to be diving into... Uh, really two of society's most taboo topics for conversation. These are like two things that you're told never, ever talk to anyone about this because if you do, they're gonna cringe and walk away from you and never be friends with you. They'll unfriend you. They'll block you on MySpace. It'll be devastating. You will not be in their top friends list. It's gonna be ugly. And the two topics are religion and money. Religion and money. You should never talk about these things, right? Uh, uh, we're going to be looking at these, though. Uh, now, there's this iconic scene in the movie Jerry Maguire. Have any of you seen Jerry Maguire? A few of you. Great. Gives you something to do tonight before the Steelers game. Uh, in, in this one iconic scene, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s uh, character, Rod Tidwell, is on the phone with Tom Cruise's character, Jerry Maguire. And Rod Tidwell is all excited. He's an athlete, uh, and Jerry Maguire is his, his agent, and he's really excited uh, about this contract, and, and he's telling his agent, Jerry Maguire, he's like, hey, can you, I want you to say something with me. He, do you guys know the line? He says, show me the money. And he's like, a little louder, show me the money. And before you know it, he's screaming, show me the money to his whole office, making a fool of himself. And, and, and deep down inside... We might not be that vocal with it, but each of us oftentimes have the same feeling, like, God, show me the money. I need the money. While we might not yell it, there's this longing oftentimes deep down inside for that. If we can just get more money, everything will be okay. We find ourselves in a stressful moment, and we're like, if I just had a little more money, or, or if I could just get a better paying job, so many of the problems uh, that I face would work themselves out. And this is the tension that many of us face on a daily, if not weekly, basis. And, and then you hear something that Jesus says that, that just blows everything up. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 19, here's what he said. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and, and that takes the struggle that we often face uh, uh, to, to a whole other level. Uh, you know, it, it blows up this pursuit of more, blows up to the point that the majority of people would put what Jesus says here really in the category of the impossible. Like, that's a really neat idea, that's a really good concept, but that's not realistic. Sure, it sounds like a nice thing, but practically speaking, that's just preacher talk. It's totally unrealistic. How in the world is that even possible? Like, Matthew, do you see my bills every week? Do you see how tight finances are every week? And, and in good Jesus form, he actually addresses the stress of more or paying the bills, the struggle to not make everything about money. Uh, a few verses later in verse 33 of Matthew 6, here's what he said. He said, but seek first, can you say first? first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, what Jesus is getting at here that I hope we can hear through all the questions and, and anxiety and stress when you hear the word money is, is this idea that money 
isn't the goal. It's just a tool. Money isn't the goal. We are taught from a young age that money is the goal, but it's actually not. God never intended for your life to simply be about how much you can earn, how much uh, you can, can get in the bank account. That's not the pursuit. That's not the goal. You see, managing our money well isn't about getting more of it or gathering more of it, but rather using it in a more purposeful way. See, Jesus said, didn't say, seek my kingdom and give everything you have away. He said, seek first my kingdom, which implies there's a second, third, fourth, and so on. He said, seek first. What he's saying is is that there's something more important than accumulating and storing money or wealth. It's using it in the right way for the right things. Before I, uh, you know, get to some super practical steps, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about uh, with two stories about Jesus and money. They're recorded in Luke's gospel. Both of these stories are about two men that were very similar in a lot of ways. They both had government jobs. They both worked for the government, and both of them were very, very wealthy. Uh, What separates these two men, though, is their response to meeting Jesus, how they responded. Here's the first story. It's in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. It says this, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. These are the Ten Commandments. Verse 21 says, All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Maybe you have grown up in a church environment or in a, in a home where you were taught a lot of those things and you are doing the right things. Jesus is getting to a point here that following all the rules is, is good, all, all and well, but that's not actually the point. Because he, he gets to the point here. He said, verse 22, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, uh, I know that's a pretty discouraging statement for Jesus to make there at the end. But, but he, he wasn't saying that having wealth is wrong or evil. What he's saying is that it's dangerous when wealth has you. You see, Jesus was putting a huge priority on something over the law. This was something that, that Jews uh, really wouldn't have been comfortable with. Nothing should supersede the law, according to the Jews. He, he was saying that the condition of your heart was even more important than following all the rules. I don't know if you're a rule follower. You're like, i got to follow it down to the T. Jesus is saying here, uh, and we're going to talk about this in a few more weeks, but following the rules isn't what he intends. It's, it's having the right heart. And this is what he said in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, contrast that story with something that took place the very next chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. It says this in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
that he was a chief tax collector and, and just similar to this other man, this rich ruler in chapter 18, he was wealthy as well. Verse three, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. If you are uh, challenged at height, be encouraged. You are represented well in scripture here, okay? So if you struggle with your height, you got good company. Look at this, Zacchaeus. He's, 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 he's one of you. So verse four, he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Really smart guy. He's like, I can't see over the crowd. I'm going to climb up in the tree. He goes on. Um, he said in verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I don't know if you've ever had people talking about you. Um, you know, people saying stuff about you behind your back that you're like, what in the world? Why? Be, you're in good company. Look at what G- happened to Jesus. He, he's simply reaching out to this man named Zacchaeus and people are talking about him behind his back. He's saying, I can't believe Jesus would do that. Do they know, does he know who he is? And, and verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So, so in both of these stories, Jesus is interacting with men of incredible wealth. For one, Jesus says it's incredibly difficult to enter the kingdom of God. For the other, Jesus basically invites himself over to his house, and the result is Zacchaeus' life and family are forever transformed. So when you look at these stories, the question is like, what's the difference? What's different from one to the other? The difference isn't how much they had, but ultimately how much had them. The real difference isn't found on the surface, it's found at the heart level. The first man didn't have the heart to let go of his stuff. The second man had a change of heart, and the result was he shifted from a getting mindset to a giving mindset. And here's a simple thought that I want to share with you today. With God's heart, money becomes something we use, not something we consume. With God's heart, money becomes something we use, not something we consume. And the big question when you look at this idea is, how in the world do we have a change of heart? How do we capture God's heart? Like, do we have to do all of the right things? Are there like certain rituals? Like, if you do these five rituals, then all of a sudden, poof, magically your heart changes. What does that look like? It seems so intangible. How do we do that? To answer that, I want to go back to the story of Zacchaeus and see what we learn uh, from this encounter with Jesus. Because Zacchaeus clearly had a change of heart. Something shifted on the heart level for him. So we're going to look at what he did and what we can learn from that. Verse 2, it says this of Luke 19. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus wasn't claiming in in these verses to be a religious person or a follower of Jesus. He had a healthy curiosity about Jesus that he simply pursued. Some of you are here today, or or maybe you're watching online, uh, because of a similar curiosity. And I want to commend you for pursuing that curiosity. For for you, maybe it was coming to church, maybe it was tuning in online. For Zacchaeus, that was climbing a tree. His response to that curious moment was to do something. This is important because our heart is changed for the good or for the bad, often based on the response, on our response to a curious moment. 
Too many find themselves trapped in a prison of pornography or gambling or substance abuse because of their response in one moment of curiosity. Here, Jesus literally uh, sees uh, uh, this man because he stepped out in a curious moment. You know, uh, for the bad, curiosity can be a negative, but the same is true on the other side. You know, I've watched people so many times be set free, transformed, experience a 180-degree turnaround because of their response to Jesus in a curious moment. And, and if you find yourself in that first group today, you're trapped in that prison, you've been locked there for so long with no hope, no way out, I want you to know today that there is hope, that there is a Savior that in one moment can look up in that tree and call you out and transform your life. One curious moment. You might be locked in that prison that you, can't, you feel like you can't help it. You have to do these things. You have to look at that pornography. You have to, 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 to take one more drink. You, you, you feel like trapped and, and you don't, you've tried every other measure and way out and you don't know how. And I want you to know that Jesus still transforms and heals and he still answers those curious moments. This is exactly what would happen for Zacchaeus. He had a consumption addiction. He wanted more. He had to have more. And he would do whatever it takes, lying, extorting, whatever it takes, he would do it to get more. But because of his response to Jesus in one curious moment, his heart is forever changed. And the first thing we learn from Zacchaeus in the story is this. That our heart can change based on our response to curious moments. Our heart can change based on our response uh, to curious moments. There are moments where something piques your interest. Some of you walked into church today or maybe years ago for that very reason. And, And you would say it was a curious moment. I would say it was the Holy Spirit drawing you. Whatever language you want to use... It's a curious moment. It's responding to a curious moment. As the story unfolds, we see something unexpected take place then. Yeah, Zacchaeus is curious. He climbs the tree because he wants to see who this Jesus guy really is. And sure enough, Zacchaeus does get to see Jesus. Like he sees over the crowd. But as Jesus walks by the tree that Zacchaeus had climbed up with crowds of people all around him, Jesus stops and he looks up at Zacchaeus. I couldn't imagine what this must have been feeling like for this man. Zacchaeus would stand before Roman rulers. He collected money from the Jews. Like this guy was a man with a reputation. Bad with the Jews, probably good with the Romans because he collected a lot of money. Like this guy wasn't someone that would have been intimidated by titles, status, because he had it all. But in this moment, he's he's hanging in this tree and Jesus walks by him underneath him like Zacchaeus has the best seat in the house and and he's like oh man here he comes and Jesus stops and he looks up at him and I I could only imagine Zacchaeus's heart beating thinking oh stink here goes he's calling me out he's gonna like drag my name through the mud he knows everything I've done wrong he knows how I I just you know lied to that old lady yesterday got double the tax than I should have. He knows it. This is like, Jesus, he's gonna call me out, embarrass me, make a big deal of me, and I'm gonna be ruined for life. And his heart's beating. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. That's what's remarkable. I, I, I don't think in a million years, 
Zacchaeus ever envisioned this scenario. Here's what it says in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What? Stay at my house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus' response seems so out of balance. Like Jesus wasn't in the right mind at this moment or something. Like, does he know who he is? Who this guy, this guy is hated. Think of anyone in society or culture today that is hated. This is Zacchaeus. Like, can you imagine this? He literally just saw Zacchaeus in a tree, and now he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. What's the deal with this? And here's the deal. Jesus always responds in big ways to a willing heart, not simply an act of our will. Not simply our action, like you jump through all the hoops. Like Jesus is like, if you can do five somersaults, say Father, Son, Holy Spirit while you're doing it, and then somehow land in push-up position, I will forgive you. I will love you if you can do all of those things. He's not saying that. He's, he's responding not to an act of Zacchaeus' will. He's responding to a willing heart. How remarkable is that? This was more than Zacchaeus had ever hoped for. So it says he welcomed Jesus gladly. And the word that's translated in English gladly is, is a Greek word, sharon. It literally means rejoicing. Sharon means rejoicing. Luke used the same verb nine times in his gospel, always denoting joy that followed faith and salvation. So, so now what he's saying, Luke is saying when he, he writes this story in, in the language and the words that he chooses, is this wasn't just like he's happy, like he's excited. No, there's a joy that wells up within him. He's literally rejoicing. He's not just glad, like he feels good. No, there's this joy welling up within him. You see, Jesus didn't have a whole list of tests that Zacchaeus had to perform. There weren't hoops that he had to jump through. The simple step Zacchaeus took toward Jesus in a curious moment, his desire to experience Jesus was all that it took. It really was that simple. We in in religious circles can make this so much more difficult than it's supposed to be. We have all of these roles, regulations, and, and bureaucracy, and everything that we have to do. Jesus is like, no, man, he's, he's responding to me in a curious moment. That's good enough for me. And, and, and the same is true for us today. To experience a change of heart, it doesn't take us looking the part. It doesn't take us talking the part or trying to act like we're something that we're not. It simply takes a willingness to seek Jesus and act upon what he says. It's that simple. There's not like a Christian outfit. You have to like go to Gap or wherever Christians shop. I don't know, where do Christians shop? Uh, you know, Majesty. Majesty, there you go, thank you. <laughs> Majesty, maybe you get like the Christian t-shirt and that's what you're supposed to wear. Christian t-shirt and khakis and that's your like outfit. It's not what it's about. It's not, it's not about, you know, eating the right things and, and looking the part and talking the right part. Like not that that stuff doesn't matter, but Jesus doesn't respond to us doing the right things. He responds to us having the right heart. And the right heart isn't a perfect heart. It's a willing heart. See, Jesus res- always responds in big ways to a willing heart, not simply an act of our will. So, so Jesus and Zacchaeus, they go 
to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. I, I was reading this, and this is just practically thinking in my own life. You know, this is projecting my own life into this story a little bit, um, which isn't always healthy, but this is just me reading between the lines. Can you imagine being Zacchaeus' wife and getting that text message? <laughs> like, oh, you're bringing a guest over for, for dinner. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, who, who is it? Jesus. Jesus? Like, what am I supposed to make Jesus for a meal? Like, what does he eat? I don't know. Does he just get, like, a wafer and juice? Like, what do we give Jesus for dinner? Uh, can you imagine, like, getting that text message? I know they didn't have text messages, but they probably had, like, you know, carrier pigeon and, you know, took it to her or something. O- over dinner, over dinner that night, whatever she cooked, whatever was made, like, it must have been good. Uh, through the conversations that happened, Zacchaeus experiences this remarkable change of heart. How, how do we know that? Because of the immense shift in Zacchaeus' response to everything that he owned. In fact, listen, listen to this once greedy, dishonest, hated man. Listen to what he would say in verse 8. Zacchaeus stands up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I promise you, Zacchaeus never in a million years would ever let those words come out of his mouth. I will repay those I've wronged. He didn't say that. That wasn't his uh, mode of operation. That wasn't how he functioned. How do I know that? Because that's not how tax collectors worked. He didn't get wealthy accidentally, okay? This was a remarkable moment. Things changed his heart. He publicly wanted the people to know that his time with Jesus had not only changed his life, but changed his heart. Interestingly, he parts with much of his wealth, similar to what Jesus had asked the rich man to do. And Jesus' response to this incredible act of generosity was this remarkable, amazing declaration, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, Jesus didn't mean that the act of giving brought salvation to Zacchaeus and his household, but that there had been a change of heart that prompted this act. Sometimes we get this idea, if I just give enough money, or if I just do the right things, then God will love me more, forgive me, or, or move on my heart. That's not what it's about. That Jesus, in fact, uh, he, he, he challenged and and uh, spoke against the religious leaders of his day for doing that very thing. He said that religious leaders in his day were like whitewashed tombs. They, they, they looked clean and, uh, on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones on the inside. Why? Because they were doing all the right stuff, but they didn't have the right heart. Jesus is saying, I would rather have the right heart and work on the, all the outside stuff. It's a very different shift. For Zacchaeus, he had that change of heart. And that change of heart prompted his act of generosity. Because this is the idea. With God's heart, money becomes something we use, not something we consume. Now for you and I today, uh, our view of money and the part it plays in our lives, regardless of how much you have or how little we have, is directly connected to the heart we possess. I promise you. That's why Jesus said in verse 21 of Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart and the relationship with your stuff and your money are intertwined, completely intertwined. And as we read earlier, Jesus would then follow this statement up by putting an order or a priority to how we handle our money when our heart is right. Verse 33, he said, but seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So I want to close with a question and a simple illustration as the worship team comes uh, this morning. My question is not only what are you seeking first, not just what are you seeking first, like Jesus said, seek first my kingdom, but what are you seeking second, third, and fourth? Do you even know? Do you even know what you're seeking second, third, and fourth? Have you put a plan in place to use what you've been given purposefully? What am I talking about? I'm talking about a budget. Do you, this is really practical, do you have a budget? You're like, why in the world are we talking about a budget in church? That's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard of. Because God wants you to use what he's given you purposefully. Not, not, not like ad hoc, oh man, I gotta pay this bill, I gotta pay, no. You should use what he's given you and trusted you with as a good steward, you should use it purposefully. Do you have a budget? Do you have a plan for what you're doing with everything, first, second, third, fourth, all the way down the line? How are you paying your bills? Not just, oh, there's money in the bank account, but do you have a plan? Let me explain it this way. Imagine you've worked really hard, okay, and you earned $100. There's 10 $10 bills here, $100. If you can see this, I don't know if you guys can see that. We're not raining money, I'm not throwing this out, don't worry. You, you've worked really hard. For, for many, many people, most people, they'd say, man, I worked really hard for that $100. I can pay my rent or my mortgage. That might be two. I can pay for my car. I can get food, get some new clothes. I can, I can enjoy life a little bit. I'm, I might even be able to buy something for my kids. And, and then it's all gone. You use it all up. And you're using it for really good things. Like, not like you're throwing it on bad things and use it all up. Jesus presents a different model, a different approach. He's saying like, hey, that's cool and all, but let me shift things. Let me put, put everything a little upside down. Seek first my kingdom. What if you take that $100 and instead of you know, spending all the bills and everything you've got, which are important, like we shouldn't be behind our bills or in debt or any of those things. He said, I want you to seek first my kingdom. I want you to give the first 10%. It's called a tie. Why don't you give the first 10 to God? Seek him first. Wow. That means I only have 90 left. That's a little crazy. If you read elsewhere in scripture, there's some really awesome principles in the book of Proverbs throughout scripture. It says, give, give the next 10 to your future. You're gonna have a future. Plan for it. Give the next 10 to your future. Live off the 80. What he's saying is give your first and your best to God and he'll bless the rest. Give your second to your future. So you're planning for ahead, planning ahead. Live off the 80. You're like, I can't live off the 80. We can all live off the 80. If you plan, if you budget, if you purpose, we can all live beneath our means. We live in one of the most blessed nations in the world. This isn't like a, I'm gonna make you feel bad saying like, go somewhere else in the world and like, no, that's all I'm trying to get at. I'm saying we have available to us resources that uh, most of the world would dream of. Live within your means. That means that sometimes to live within that 80%, you have to say no to some things that are once for a little while. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, if you can say no for a little while now, you can say yes for the rest of your life. Say no for now. Maybe that means not having premium cable. Maybe that means, God forbid, having a flip phone. 
sorry. Your, your Instagram account will survive. Maybe, maybe that means like making coffee in a Keurig instead of Starbucks every day. Maybe it's packing a lunch instead of going through the drive-thru. I don't know. You live within the 80. What is, what is this talking about? Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. Have an order. Have an order to things. Why? Because money's not the goal. It's just a tool. And too many of us in our world, we're living to consume everything we've got. And we're not using it because we don't have a plan. We have absolutely no plan. We're just consuming. And, and, and we're screaming on the inside, whether we admit it or not, show me the money. I need more money. And if we could get our heart right, start there start to put a plan in place that flows out of a heart that's surrendered to Jesus. The result isn't you're going to empty your bank account and like show up at the church front doors and just like dump all this money and then walk away and have nothing to show for. That's not God's intent. That's not his goal for us. His goal for us is that we use the toll he's given us, that we are good stewards of what he's given us. And we can never be good stewards. We can never use what he's given us if we don't have a plan. So here's my homework for you. I know homework's a bad, evil word. Here's my work for you to do. Don't do it at home. Do it in the car or something. I don't know. Here's my challenge to you. Put a plan in place. Put a plan in place. That, that might mean getting a piece of paper, writing down how much you bring in every week or month, how much you pay out every week or month, and seeing where you're at. It might be that simple. Maybe it's a step further. Maybe it's meeting with a financial planner. I I don't know. Whatever that looks like for you, put a plan in place. But allow a heart that's surrendered to God to inform that plan. Because we seek first his kingdom. Seek second your future. And you allow the rest to pay for today. That might be the most outrageous thing you've ever heard in your life. I promise you it will change your life. You look at what happened for Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He was a wealthy man. He knew how to handle money. He knew how to get money. No question about that. But when his heart was changed, the priority of the money he had, the stuff that he had, shifted. His priorities were all out of whack. And Jesus aligned them. And maybe you're here today, and this is a curious moment for you. You walked into church you tuned in online. You're, you're, you're on Facebook and you're, you're not sure what's happening. Maybe you're in church and you're like, your mind's racing. You're like, I'm just trying to figure so much of my life out. And this is a curious moment for you. My, my challenge to you, if that's you this morning, isn't to do more. I'm not going to ask you to jump through a bunch of hoops. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, stand up and run to the altar with your wallet and lay it on the altar or something crazy like that. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to respond to a curious moment. Not do anything fancy. We're just going to pray in a minute. And as we pray, I know that I know that the same Jesus that responded to Zacchaeus in that moment will respond to you. That he will meet you in that tree, so to speak. And he will say, you know what? It's not a matter of your act of your will. It's a willingness of your heart. And if your heart is inclined toward me, if you're willing to pursue me, and you're willing to not just flip a switch and become a 
quote-unquote Christian or something like that, but you're willing to go on this journey of faith with me, I'm going to change your heart and you're going to see your life transformed in ways you never even imagined. And it won't even just affect you. It'll affect your family, your household. So we're going to pray here in a minute. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, you know what? In this curious moment, I'm ready to take a step. I'm not ready to take 10 steps. I'm not ready to become some member of a church or carry a Bible with me or anything like that. That's a little extreme. I'm just willing to take the next step. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you don't judge us and exclude us because of our past, because of our mistakes. Lord, that even a man like Zacchaeus that was hated by society, that was ridiculed, Lord, Jesus was still willing to overcome the bad reputation and all that he had done and and welcome him. God, I pray this morning for those that are here, those that are watching the line, Lord, that they've taken what they might see as a baby step to just respond to a curious moment, to come to church or to tune in online. Lord, I pray that you would take five steps toward them. God, that you would run to them in this moment and let them see how much you care so much about them, how much you believe in them and how their past doesn't have to define them. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here or you're watching online, you say, Nick, that's me. Like, that's me. Like, I, I, I walked into church. I didn't plan on coming, but I just felt like for some reason I needed to. And I'll, I'm honestly just curious. Or I'm watching online like I'm just checking this out. And, and for some reason I feel like that's me. Like something is speaking to me on the inside that's saying, like, that's you. If that's you, I'm going to ask you just in a moment. I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. And all I'm asking you to do in reaching your hand toward heaven is to act upon that curiosity. Just say, God, I'm willing to take one more step. I'm willing to accept your forgiveness of my past and take a step to see what it means to follow you and give my dreams, my purpose and everything, place it in your hands and see what you can do with my life. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. One, Two, even if you're watching online, three, just reach your hand toward heaven this morning. Amen. You can put your hands down. And I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me. Uh, whether you're like, man, I've been going to church my whole life, or, or you just raised your hand, I want us all to pray this because we're a family. We're the family of God. We pray, we talk to God together. And that's all prayer is, it's just a conversation with God that I want to lead you in this morning. My hope is this is the first of many, many conversations you have with God. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me in this curious moment. I commit to take this next step. To follow you and your plans for my life. To accept your forgiveness of my past. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you're like, you know what, I think I'm, I'm ready to take that next step. I'm ready to continue that journey. If you go to connect.calvaryirwin.com, say, hey, I've committed my life to Jesus, fill out that information. We want to get some resources to help you take the next step. Or you can talk, stop by the Connection Center. and We have a Bible for you. And we want to help you take the next step. Because God will meet you. Jesus meets us and in big ways when we are willing 
to respond to a curious moment. Before we go today, we're here to use this for good purpose. I know your bills, your kids, your meal, the roof over your head, your car, those are good purposes. Yes, they are. I'm not saying they're not. But don't let today go by without a plan. You get home today, Steelers game's not till 820. You've got time. If you have to, order Domino's. Don't make food tonight. Put a plan. Take a step. Invite a friend that maybe you know is good at that into the conversation. Have a plan. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and then seek second and third and fourth. Have a plan in place. God's church and his people will always be prepared when they can have a plan that flows out of a heart that's surrendered to him. Always. I don't care where the economy is. I don't care where finances are in the world. They will always be in a good place when they're willing to seek him first and have a plan for everything second, third, and fourth. Have a plan. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with. God, you've blessed some of us with more than others. But God, I thank you for the measure at which you've blessed us. God, I pray you would help us to have a plan, not just a desire, not just a wish, not just a hope, but a plan, Lord, that helps us be stewards of what you've given us to make a difference in this world, to take care of the bills and the things that are before us. God, give us the wisdom, surround us with people that help us put a plan together. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Thank you for what you've blessed us with. God, let us be a blessing with everything you've given to us. Let us seek first your kingdom. Seek second all that you've put before us. In Jesus' name we pray. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 